0: The sermon text this morning is from 2 Samuel 23, 13 through 17. Hear then the word of God. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it brought it to David. But he would not drink it. poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things, three mighty men did. Grass withers, flower fades. But, but the word of God stands forever. It's
1: kind of an interesting verse, right? It's one of my favorite texts. Um, our family has had the uh, privilege, blessing, task of moving. Twice in the last, say, year and a half. First was our move back from Arkansas planting, and then most recently moving out of our rental. Um, and one of the things that maybe why you would call it a blessing of sorts is that when you move, every time that you move, you get the unique privilege of sorting through all that you own, right? You get to see it all, you get to pack it all, um, but more everything else that you get to look at it, and kind of deem it's worth. Um, And what I mean by determining its worth is specifically, is this particular item worth the trouble of packing it and moving it and unpacking it? Or should we just donate it right now? Uh, So when we first moved from Arkansas and moved here, we moved into a rental and immediately moved a good bit of our stuff into a rental unit unit right down the road, which was subsequently the next week robbed. Um, Now, the added blessing of that after a year of kind of dealing with the anger and frustration of being robbed is now I can use this as a sermon illustration. That's where (laughs) I am in my life. I'm still not over it, but I can use it as a sermon illustration. And what I see about this now looking at it from this point, especially for our text today is it's unique in the way of sorting through all of your stuff and having a third party come in and also what's worth keeping and worth not. Uh, because you see, for a robber, what they do when they go through your stuff is they use their thiefly intuition to determine what's of value, and they take those things. And the things that you they don't see as valuable, they leave behind. So if there are any debates in your family that maybe you had when packing in Arkansas about whether or not to bring something and you put it in this storage unit, and then the robbers came and you go and you still see this thing. Then you can come back and say, you see, I told you it was not even worth packing. They don't even want it. Um, So it's an interesting perspective to have this third party sift through all of your things. Jesus' words are recorded in multiple gospels, and he says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the principle he's saying is we worship what we value most. And I'll tell you this story about being robbed and all of this, because in this passage here, we see David, and David has sort of had his life sifted a bit. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. David was the seventh or eighth in line to his father's inheritance. He was a shepherd in the field. He was forgotten. He wasn't even invited to the party with Samuel, who was going to pick the next king, and he was having to be brought in from the fields. And he has had this meteoric rise to the throne of Israel, and he's now the king of one of the powerhouse nations who can claim to have God as its uh, God and on their side. Uh, And and just so you know for the context of this, this valley that the Philistines have camped in, there's on multiple occasions there's recorded A history here where David has gone out and fought the Philistines in this very valley and just decimated them. And won the battle two times before, at least. And yet we find them encamped in the same valley. And David is hiding in a cave. The other thing we know about this verse, and you can read on if you wanted to start in verse 8 and go on through the end of the chapter, is... David has this elite kind of SEAL Team 6 type fighting force that's on his side. These loyal men who fight for him, and they do pretty extraordinary, amazing things if you read. Uh, And he's got these guys on his team as well. And yet, here David sits. Clearly, David is not feeling strong right now. He's not feeling accomplished, he's not feeling powerful. He's hiding in a cave while his enemies pillage his very hometown, most likely for the crops that they're harvesting. And as king of Israel, there's no question that it's David's duty as the king of Israel to to ride out and meet these foes and at least engage them in battle for God's honor, sure. But if nothing else, just for the duty of his people and his kingdom, to go out there and meet them in battle. Look at verse 14. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. That's David's hometown. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well at Bethlehem that is by the gate. Most believe that David here was not actually sending these men to go get this water, but rather he was just In this moment of kind of self pity and speaking out loud to himself and just longing for simpler times where he's just kind of in this kind of this, this down on himself, just kind of like, oh, I just remember these times and being able to go. This was a well that he grew up drinking from, this was a well that he would have been very familiar with. And he's longing for a time where things were normal. He's longing for a time when things seem more simple, allowing himself to drift off to a simpler time than where he is now. Let me ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in circumstances that were difficult or hard, and you just kind of allow your mind to drift off to a place where things were simpler, sometimes maybe before kids? Maybe when you didn't have to have a job or you didn't have bills and And all of these other things that kind of come with life and right here we're talking about the king the king who's tasted the finest foods he's worn the finest clothes by this point his house is a palace he has wealth he has service and yet he's longing for something as insignificant and normal as going to the city gates to the to the local public water fountain to drink something he's drank for most of his life it sort of gives us a window into where David's heart is in this moment he doesn't ask to go back to the palace he doesn't ask for that moment when he drops the Philistine champ Goliath in the first round by a with a rock, or the day that he takes the throne of Israel. He wants to go back to this time when he was a shepherd, where he was the youngest son, just enjoying something simple and common as a water that was refreshing for him. You guys remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's this great Christmas classic, a George Bailey he spends his whole life trying to get out of this little town, Bedford Falls. And every time he's dreaming of leaving, something always gets in the way. And then there's a moment in the movie where he finally realizes that he's never going to have the life that he's dreamed of. He's never going to be able to fully get away and get to do the things. And he's and he's thinking that he wishes he'd never been born. And so for the next portion of the movie, we get to see... George kind of go through Bedford Falls in his life as though he was never been born. and So he sees, he gets to see the unique perspective uh, and, and finally gets to appreciate all that he's been blessed with. It makes you wonder if David is wondering right now whether he'd ever been anointed king. He's in a cave. He's surrounded by enemy. He's thirsty. He's alone until these three men show up. Verse fifteen. David says, "Longingly, oh that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem at the Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it, and brought it to David. So whatever David meant by this statement, these three men took it literally. Um, We don't know uh, all of what happened here, but what we're pretty certain of is it's not sneaking around in the night like ninjas drawing water uh, from a well. If you look geographically, these men fought their way 13 miles to the well and 13 miles back to David. Um, And so it's a marathon of three men fighting while carrying water It's the worst water relay in the history of all mankind. (laughs) Just picture that. Worst water relay, history of mankind. Philistine's trying to kill you. You're trying to get to and from without spilling water. That's what these men did. But even though this passage has so much about these men, I really want to spend our time, the rest of the time we have here, looking at what David does here in the last part of this passage. Again, we don't know the details but we know that they return with the water. And we know that in this moment, based on how David responds, that he fully comprehends what these men have gone through, all that they've gone through to bring him this water. Water that would otherwise, of the thousands and hundreds of times David's probably drank from this well, worthless, right? Completely just there, drink it, don't think about it, don't even do anything about it. But now that he's so far away from this, and it's, and it's so desired, this water becomes David's prized possession that he has in his cave with nothing else. And I ask you this question. If you were David, what would you do? What would you do? Is there a part of you that thinks in some ways that David dishonors the sacrifice of these men by not drinking the water? Is there a part of you that thinks that, that David wasted it, that he could have at least enjoyed this, that they fought so hard to give it to him, Just, just take a sip? This is what's apparent to me as I read this passage. The men's great act of sacrifice and service towards David clearly stirs up something in David that didn't seem apparent before. He's running, he's hiding, he seems driven by fear, not to mention that he's avoiding his duty as king and protector over the lands and people that God had entrusted to him. Um, He's also a bad strategist because if you had three dudes that were like this and you actually hit 36, then then why didn't he set them loose on the Philistines, right? Like just, hey, y'all go, do your thing. Just go take care of this issue. Clear this up. And all David can do at this point is sit in a cave and long for simpler, less complicated times, but yet given the chance to enjoy this drink that was so hard fought for him, he can't do it. Look at verse 16. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should drink this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risks of their wife? Just a couple of observations before we come to the Lord's table. The first is this that we see from this text. You will not always want to worship God. You will not always feel like worshiping God. If that's not obvious enough in your life, in your pursuit of God as a Christian, and let David speak the truth that you need to hear this morning. You will not always feel like worshiping God. Even David, the man after God's own heart, was not always after God's heart. Our staff were talking about this passage earlier in the week, and we observed that when it comes to the life of David, David does a lot of pivoting, right? He has a lot of kind of about-face turns. He goes from despair to rejoicing. He goes from fear to worship. But what's refreshing about kind of his constant moving back and forth is we can relate to that. We do a lot of that ourselves. We pivot a lot. And just like David, in all our pivoting and all our moving from fear to worship and despair, uh, to hopelessness to honor uh, to and worshiping, all of these things, uh, God does not reject us either. God does not, in those moments that we move away from him, does he ever move away from him? Our abiding with Christ is about staying with Christ. But it's never about Christ staying with us. It's about us staying with Him. When we think about this idea of not always wanting to worship, uh, even as we look at the text, we we see sometimes we'll need someone else to pick us up, right? We're going to stumble. We're not going to feel like it. We're going to need someone to come and pick us up, to push us back into right believing. We may need someone at some point to kind of push us into right acting if we don't wanna do that. To tell us the hard truth that maybe we don't wanna hear in the moment. To remind us that maybe we're treating our relationship with God less like being in the vine and more like a housewife. David has these three men. They show up, he didn't ask for them to be there. He didn't invite them. They show up in his life. And the question is, for you and your life, is you have in your life to speak these hard truths, someone who knows you, someone who will go the extra mile to serve you, even if in the moment you don't want to be served. Second observation. There is a space in every earthly struggle to worship. There is a space in every struggle and circumstance to worship. Our text reminds us that in the most unlikely spaces, when all that you have to offer up is fear and a longing for something that isn't even God, God will meet you there. Often we can become so consumed by our circumstances, and and our immediate thoughts. sometimes, at least mine is, is that where are you, God? Like, where are you in my circumstances? And And it's easy in those moments to put the blame on God rather than what really is most often the real problem, which is my eyes blind to see God's mercy and grace being served to me. Most often, that's the issue in those moments. It's not God not being there. God is there. He is with us. It's my eyes blind to see God's mercy and grace being offered and served to me in those moments. It's never a matter of if God has offered his grace and mercy to you. It's a matter of how God has offered his grace and his mercy to you. I hope that you'll take time today. Uh, at some point today, consider how God's grace and mercy has come to serve you today, wherever you might be. It may not be a drink of water. Uh, maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's a phone call. Someone showing up to sit and be with you just to remind you that you're not alone. And it's in these moments where we understand God's grace and mercy coming to us that we have this opportunity to, to redirect our natural impulse to enjoy the, the very momentary gratification of this David getting handed this water and just guzzling it down, that we have this moment in time to redirect our impulse for this temporary satisfaction and redirect it vertically to God. As we see his mercy and grace and we put off the temporary and instead look at the greater thing that's been shown to us, that stretches beyond our days and this mortal life that remind us of the truth that we are God's treasure we are God's treasure so valuable that he would offer up his treasured son to rescue us from death this table that we come to every week um, It can become routine for us, right? Because we do it so often. But this table is here to remind us of the impossible odds that Jesus overcame to meet you in your greatest need and offer you a drink so that you would never thirst again. So even in this moment, whether you're in a cave and all you have is longing and despair, or whether you're up on top of the hill and you're sitting in the throne and you're surrounded by possessions. We all, wherever we're coming from, are coming to this table and we all need to be reminded of the same truth. A God who endured impossible to, to bring you a drink and offer it to you so that you would never thirst again. It's also a great reminder to us that that we are fueled to go and be that for other people. And we are Christ's ambassadors as though he were making his appeal through us be reconciled to God. That's what scripture teaches us. So as we come and we get this drink, we can just enjoy it or we can redirect it to something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than even our momentary light afflictions just something eternal as we go and we serve others as we go and we're a blessing to other people this week this is fuel for us Christ meeting us today is fueling us to be something to go I hope that you'll take time today to consider how God might call you to go and display his mercy and his grace to other people Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for this uh, this image first of David the imperfect, fear and hiding unfaithfulness, and how you meet him in that moment. To redirect his heart to something bigger than himself, bigger than his needs, his momentary troubles, to something grander. The Father, also, this image that we have before us on the table of Christ who did not stop, who did not hide in a cave, he didn't stay in the garden, he walked very difficult road of suffering so that we might be brought into your presence and be called children of the living God. So Father, as we come to this table, no matter where we're coming from, Father, remind us of that and also fuel us. May this time that we experience this together as a family fuel us. Bigger things that you have for us in our town, in our job, in our family, in our struggles, whatever may come. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. So a couple of things about the table as we come this morning. <coughs> First is this this is a, a meal, it's not meant to satisfy you entirely. You'll see it's a very small wafer and a very small amount of juice or wine. Um, but it is a family meal, and, and we say that very specifically. There's some costumes there. Uh, if you're not part of the uh, family of God, if you're not in relationship with Christ, you call him your king and your savior, um, then, then this meal, we would invite you to participate in other ways, to come and receive a word of the gospel, to come and watch and uh, maybe be prayed for I think the Shacklefords are going to be in this corner over here uh, Be prayed for during this time There's some bulletin prayers that may be helpful uh, But we'd invite you to not participate in that in, in taking in these elements If you're not part of the family of God Second caution would be this If you are sideways If you are holding on to sin Or some relational discord with someone And unwilling to let that go There would also be a caution for you not to come this morning That you would deal with those things you put that before the Lord, uh, and and follow His path for you, and 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 getting to the end of that before coming here and joining us at this table.